Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm Sundar Ramanujam, a longtime friend of the pod and Dan's research associate here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, CSIS. Dan is traveling this week again, but I'm excited about our episode today. As listeners would know, we at CSIS have an ongoing research project to study how digital technologies and payment systems can transform our broader financial inclusion efforts around the world. My colleagues and I have spent the past few years carrying out research in this area, trying to identify country cases whose experience we could use as model for future efforts. One country whose success kept cropping up was Bangladesh. When Bangladesh became a free and sovereign country in 1971, about 50 or so years ago, it was emerging from a brutal conflict and was quite dependent on humanitarian assistance. Today, half a century later, the South Asian country has become a middle-income economy with one of the fastest growing markets in the region. Home to one of the largest manufacturing sector in the developing world, Bangladesh's textiles and garment sector employs more than 4.4 million workers. There are more than 80% of which are women. The sector is also the world's largest exporter of apparels right after China, population over a billion and a half. Why am I talking about the garments industry in a podcast about financial inclusion? Because it is this sector that has pioneered the use of digital payments in Bangladesh to pay its workers their wages and empower them financially. The sector uses Bikash, a payments platform created through a joint venture between several key financial institutions, including the International Finance Corporation and the sponsors of this episode, the Gates Foundation. Launched in 2011, Bikash is a joint venture of Brack Bank, US-based Money in Motion LLC, the International Finance Corporation of the World Bank Group, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Ant Group of the Alibaba Group, and SoftBank Vision Fund. Bikash operates as a payment service provider offering broad range of digital financial services under the regulation of the Bangladesh Bank. Bikash has been used to facilitate the digital delivery of wages in a manner that is both fiscally and administratively efficient and transparent. I'm so excited to learn more about how Bikash has changed payments and financial services in Bangladesh. And we have Mafuz Sadiq, who is the Chief Communication Officer at Bikash. Mafuz, welcome to Building the Future. It's so great to have you here. Good to be here, Sundar. Mafuz, I was hoping we could start off by learning a little bit about you. I wanted to present your bio in the run-up to our discussion, but halfway through reading your biography, I realized you have a fascinating background that deserves to be told by its author itself. You worked in banking, journalism, public policy, and are now in fintech doing something amazing. Could you please tell me and our listeners more about your journey and how you ended up at Bikash? Thank you. Well, I mean, that's quite a journey that you've just painted. I mean, I haven't even thought about it for a while. I mean, you sort of live life as it comes along. I mean, that's pretty much been the reason why I've moved. Like any South Asian self-respecting chap would admit that, you know, parents, pressure and all of those things. 
I remember being told, when are you going to do a real job rather than being a journalist? Oh, the trauma of it all. The trauma (laughs) of it all is coming back to me. I know. Tell me about it. Well, I had already, I think by then, I was a senior correspondent at a national newspaper. My byline was coming up on front pages. But imagine, uh, you know, your mother is saying, you know, maybe now is a good time to take a real job. And I, I mean, I tell you, I did give into it. I sort of went into banking. I joined Citi. Back in 2007, it was the largest bank in the world. They had a large operation at that time in Bangladesh. I think a desire to go out and explore what's happening out led me back to journalism. And, you know, I had been teaching at SOAS, University of London, for a few years as well in media and development, increasingly becoming interested in research in addition to my journalism. I started a PhD, actually. The subject matter was how did Bangladesh evolve and how did Bangladesh's digital narrative evolve from 2008 to 9 when there was a political philosophy in Bangladesh whereby you know the whole idea of what development entailed became sort of intertwined with whether you can digitize things. Does that rep- represent growth? And I was really interested to study this, how techno-political narrative had grown in a country like Bangladesh. On a weekend, you know, friends who were in banking, in masters of the universe, in high finance in London, they would say that, oh, you're from Bangladesh. Um, do you know of Bikash? And I'd be like, yes. Um, My question would be, how do you know it? And they would be then saying that, oh, because it's fascinating. You know, we, we, all of us are really following it quite closely. So many sort of major players in the global market, including, you know, the Gates Foundation or IFC of World Bank. And by then the world, the Alibaba groups and financial These are some of the world's largest players in various sectors. They were all taking an interest in Bikash and it was obviously gaining momentum and something was happening. As the song goes, there's something happening there, you know? So everybody was saying something is happening there. I happened to have known the founder from a long time before, Kamal Kadir, who was the founder of Bikash, who I know actually from his previous startup. He had a venture where he was the first e-commerce, actually it was a mobile commerce platform called Cell Bazaar. It was so fascinating to see that someone trained at MIT had come back to Bangladesh and decided to set up a technology company in Bangladesh. I mean, you'd think that, you know, in the heydays of Silicon Valley, when it is booming, to think that, no, actually, Bangladesh is where we're going to build innovative organizations, innovative companies using things such as mobiles. You know, it wasn't even the era of smartphones. We're talking feature phones. When I was a reporter in Bangladesh for BBC World News, I remember getting a call one day saying, Mahfuz, we're doing a story on mobile money. So one of the editors said, we're doing a round robin. So one from Bangladesh, one from Kenya, birthplace of mobile money, M-Pesa, something from Latin America. And I was like, oh, fascinating. I know something in Bangladesh about mobile money. And lo and behold, they mentioned, yeah, I mean, could we do a story about Bikash? As we all do, Mafuz, from time to time, like when you've done a certain amount of work in a professional journey, it, it comes to you. It's like, all right, what, how do I do? Like you, you start questioning the mission of value or you start questioning, all right, my ties, my roots. I mean, obviously, Bikash was getting to be known as this leader in fintech services, but 
Uh, when it started in 2011, it probably was not the easiest thing to do. I am trying to think uh, between infrastructure capacity, which needed investments in, and speaking of investments, you needed a series of investors who needed to be lined up, market conditions and market research that needed to be done. And there is a regulatory aspect of it, which our research tells that the central bankers are often the gatekeepers. They could be the difference between transformation and leaping forward or someone who are more conservative and risk averse. And in this case, the Bangladesh Bank took a leap of faith and supported in some regulatory ways to enable Bikash's establishment and growth. So this is a secret recipe craved by many other developing country policymakers. Would you be willing to give a sneak peek to our listeners what the behind the scenes might have looked like. Did Bikash think it was easy? Was it hard? Both in the technology sector or any business, I think there is this, there's this hope of finding, you know, business schools write papers on it. You know, there are self-help books on it. I mean, I have had hours and hours of discussions with Kamal Khadir, the founder, and the early team that actually imagined this other world, other life that Bangladesh's financial sector could have. We celebrated a decade just uh, last year. Congratulations so on that. One of the thematic promotions that one of our teams came up with, there was a moment where a taxi driver is standing and he's sending money using Bikash for the first time. So that's a decade ago. But there is this moment of hesitation where he thinks, will my wife get this? And especially when it comes to financial service, there is a serious leap of faith where there is a belief that will it work? But then when it works, once you cement that sort of belief in and the trust, because if you look at the entire global financial structure, we're giving our money to banks or finance. It's all based on trust, right? Entirely so, trust. Entirely. So to bring in a new financial entity like Bikash, which is saying, look, I'm going to make this so simple. Here you are, you've been struggling to send money from the big cities where you work back to your family in the villages, which was the, our first case, use case. Here I am giving you an option using your small button phone, like the feature phone, not even the high-end uh, smartphones, lo and behold, it will reach your family, uh, your loved ones at the end of the, in some distant corner of Bangladesh will receive that hard-earned money within a regulated environment. Nothing to worry about. Instead of a secret recipe that you mentioned, that is the recipe. I think that the overall scaffolding and the overall structure that the regulator has to build. And I have seen this over the last years and the months that I've worked on this, that you really need to have a proactive regulator, have respect for compliance, you know, because maybe some other sectors might have other ways of looking at it. But when it comes to the financial sector, if you play by the book and create very robust uh, regulatory framework, I think Bikash has all about innovation, customer centricity, compliance practices, you know. So, I mean, all the state-of-the-art services, now we have moved on to doing payments. You can take various other services like digital loans, digital savings. I mean, these are complex financial products. Remember, just sending cash. From there, you have evolved all the way 
I mean, financial inclusion in the end of the day, I mean, when I speak to the early team, the founder and the Kamal Khadir and some of the others who, and the regulator as well, when they first came up with the structure of, okay, this is how you can do it within this format. From the very beginning, the idea was banklet so that you use one existing trust mechanism, which is the bank, you trust a bank, and then build on top of it as a last mile solution. We have th- almost 300,000 agents, or as we call them, human ATMs. Mm-hmm. So these are mom and pop shops in remote corners. Even if a village has one mom and pop shop, that is a Bikash agent. A bank cannot have 300,000 branches. Having 300,000 ATMs for a country like Bangladesh is almost impossible. But if you can turn every mom and pop shop into an entrepreneur, mom, There was a recent study done by Bangladesh's Bureau of Statistics, which found that these mom and pop shops have gained immensely from mobile financial services. It's the true true democratization of the financial sector. Indeed. I mean, essentially what you have is we always hear about the complaints, especially since 2008 financial crisis, the big bad wolf of Wall Street and others. But if you look at it, we are using the state-of-the-art technology, AI-based, you know, algorithmic understanding of transactions. We have some of the most advanced server management system, ID management system, which is crucial for any financial service. But all of that happens in the back end. The fish seller in a remote Bangladeshi river town, when using a small phone, worn out, When he presses one, he is using probably technology that is 25, 30 years old. But the moment he sends that instruction to Bikash, we take it through one of the most advanced processes there is because we're constantly updating. We have strategic partnerships with the world's largest mobile money platforms like Ant Financial or IFC, like the World Bank advises us and lots of other ways. SoftBank, which is the world's largest uh, technology investment fund, they're also sort of constantly, uh, it's investing in us, it's helping us to grow. So what I'm going back, that press of a button seems so simple and relatively inconsequential, but that triggers the entire global financial might and technological might of top-end technology, which then helps us to serve him. So in a way, financial inclusion has always been at Bikash's DNA. Things like a send money, cash in, cash out. These facilities, while they started as a simplistic form of financial year, but they were the last mile the unbanked. It was unimaginable that the banks, even in this day and age, the percentage of people who don't have a formal bank account is unprecedented. Only when Bikash and the mobile financial services industry, when they said, don't worry, you can turn this mobile to a bank account. It's that point that they can do everything from payments all along. I think this is something also crucial. You know, there was a push. Oh, you are a great fintech. Why don't you do an app right now? Then you have arrived, you know. But what did our customers want? 60, 70% of our customers didn't have smartphones. They wouldn't be able to use an app-based solution. Truly so first, inclusive, to be truly inclusive, wanting to go to the 
last person in a weird hierarchy of technology, digital literacy, the sheer number of barriers to entry, and you just listed a lot of them out, barriers to entry for the average or perhaps the least financially included Bangladeshi to be a part of the financial sector, I think it could range from, like you mentioned, smartphones, um, understanding financial literacy. I mean, if there is someone's grandmother who's 78 years old and she knows how to dial the number for her grandson or granddaughter, that's probably the best she could do with her conventional phone, not even a smartphone. I think it's not so much a secret recipe as a critical ingredient that you mentioned, which is trust. Our program last year, we did an entire exercise talking about ID systems and how IDs can help establish a trust within the sector for know your customer and customer due diligence efforts. But also uh, there are broader consequences to it too with social welfare programs from state capacity, from formality, et cetera. Trust has been key and central. Just to sort of step in and point out, I mean, because you mentioned it, this is something that we have as the pioneer in the industry Uh, we have constantly pushed for this, that the trust element of it will only become truly embedded. So every Bikash account is linked to a national ID, which is the gold standard of EKYC of Bangladesh. So anyone who wants to open a Bikash account can give us their NID, international ID, and we verify it with the government's database. So everyone is verified. And We have a one NID, one mobile banking account policy. So there is no possibility of duplication. There's a leapfrog element here. In DC, in Washington, DC, or London, or in Sydney, you'd probably tap your phone, which would have NFC and card installed in it, right? But the fact is, we are here making a giant leap from some people who essentially their banks were their mattresses. They would put money under their mattresses, the biscuit container they have. My grandmother. Yes, exactly. My grandmother, she just stuffs 20 and 40 uh, rupees worth of change just in the sugar jar. One time I tried to make coffee in her home and I was like, grandma, why do you have like thousands of rupees sitting in the sugar jar? Exactly. To, To those who put their money under their mattress to say, look, Let's put it in a collective mattress. And now let's, let's look at it, Sundar. If you look at it, this is where the macroeconomic picture comes in. We're talking about uh, innovation, company, customers, but now let's talk about the economy. A country like Bangladesh, you are hungry, capital hungry. You need to invest to grow. And you have already mentioned that we're growing at a phenomenal pace, but all along we are constantly hungry for capital. But a country of 170 million, highly savings oriented, we have enough resources and capital accumulation domestically even, if only we could tap into that. This is something that, I mean, I don't want to sort of steal anyone's thunder because this is a story that Kamal tells me, our founder, Kamal Kader, that, you know, it's almost like if you imagine if little droplet of water coming down from the Himalayas and then they become this trickle and then they become the little streams, and then they become the slightly bigger rivers, and eventually they become the mighty Jomuna River or the mighty Brahmaputra and the other rivers, and then they eventually land onto the ocean, Bay of Bengal maybe. We are simply the little canals and the rivers that are bringing 
capital from the small little source, my grandma as well. They're keeping 2000 taka in their sugar jar. And taka I'm saying, is the Bangladeshi taka is the Bangladeshi currency. Now we're saying you can actually keep it in a mobile financial service, trustworthy. We keep all this money in a highly regulated financial system in the banks. We even put in more than the statutory requirement because Bikash being a company that believes in this kind of thing, we buy in treasury, in Bangladesh's treasury, far more than the statutory requirements because we know that that money gets invested eventually in Bangladeshi economy. If the economy grows, who benefits? The Bikash also benefits. It's like a complementary. The more the economy grows, my our organization benefits, as do our consumers. And it was so heartwarming that within sort of two months of joining, Bikash again became the best brand in Bangladesh three times in a row. Now, let me point out why that I found that fascinating. We're talking about companies like Unilever, the young upstart like Bikash is competing against the might of these multinational companies, which have huge market presence in a country like Bangladesh, PNG, or, you know, other big organizations and banks as well. You know, we've got the largest banks in the world, some of them operating here, at least. I remember seeing that Bikash was the number one employer of choice, you know, done by Nielsen gives us so much confidence and pride. There is a campaign that CNN is running now. It's called Made in Bangladesh. As part of the 50 years of Bangladesh, the Ministry of Commerce of Bangladesh and CNN, they're together highlighting the stories of which organizations in Bangladesh have truly represented the story of Bangladesh as a hub of growth. It is no ordinary feat. I mean, this kind of a platform and a service flowing and normalizing it in the lives of Bangladeshi people and Bangladesh society. And the fact that you got uh, mentioned on CNN's uh, Made in Bangladesh brand story, that is that is incredible. I wonder if I could take a moment to fast forward. I said 2011, how we started this, Howard, your growth, you innovated. There was a lots of public sector and private sector partnerships going on. And you're working hard at building this, a trust-based community of agents and clients who are using your service. Two years ago, let's fast forward up until two years ago, COVID-19 just hit Bangladesh as with every other country on this planet. Uh, The government in Bangladesh, again, like other uh, places, responded with similar sets of public health measures, lockdowns, minimal to no physical contact, curtailing outside activity. One of the areas that it affected was conventional banking, but your years of diligent groundwork mitigated a potential financial disaster, especially as I understand it, Eid was around the corner. Uh, This is 2020, so early to mid-May when Eid was an Eid uh, for our listeners. It is tantamount to Thanksgiving or Christmas. It is one of the biggest festivals in Bangladesh um, and deeply personal for lots of people, millions of people. So If you could tell us what role Bikash played and digital payments played and much of the pandemic in Bangladesh and how the disaster was mitigated, not that it was completely blocked, there was a public health toll, but on the financial sector side, folks had an opportunity to circumvent uh, what could have been a total wipeout. 
It was as if a glove, you know, it fits, glove fits the problem in a way, you know, and in certain ways, we had started several years ahead putting together a digital salary disbursement system for the ready-made garments industry. So already like 800 ready-made garment factories gave their payroll pay. So through that, why I mentioned that, one of the biggest problems you suddenly had was even when the government, as the coronavirus hit, one of the first countries in the world, Bangladesh, with its dense population, and there was a lot of worry about what level of transmission of the disease would happen. The government immediately obviously decided that we are going to put out a lot of social security payment. So suddenly, here was a custom-built solution that was existing, pre-existing, as anyone would appreciate any disbursement, any sort of social security disbursement or any cash disbursement. I think transparency, efficiency, these things are so important. And the state obviously wants to have complete visibility that all the beneficiaries are getting it in the right way. And this is where Bikar stepped in. Millions of people who, some of them already were getting their salaries through Bikash, but for the first time, they started receiving assistance, help, money that they crucially needed without stepping away from their homes to buy food. So there was a time when I was in London. My elderly parents were at home and my seven-year-old back then on every video call to tell my parents not to leave the house because there was COVID. You know, we didn't know what was going on. We were all trying to tell. And how would my parents, like so many elderly people here or everyone in Bangladesh, how would they then buy their basic groceries? You know, the financial transaction is the fundamental stepping stone of how you can avail any services because became an alternative lifeline. I have heard from my parents, from family members, from friends who now that I were adjoined, they've said, wow, it saved our life. It was as if a transformation that was going to take years happened within months. You know, this is something that uh, I hear a lot these days that people who have been with Bikash for a long time, especially those who have built it from the ground up, they often say, you know, these the city folks, they discovered Bikash only during the COVID time. Rural people of Bangladesh, the marginal the not, people of the Bangladesh, not, they have been using it for years. Yep, the <laughs> ones who did not have a bank just around the corner, exactly. or they could take bike to it. Yeah. They were the yeah. ones who realized they, they were in a simulated, not a lethal, but a similar exactly. experience environment. I heard so many people say that actually my grocery shop vendor, he had Bikash. I didn't, <laughs> you know, because he would send money that he had earned back to his village or other places. Dhaka is a city of millions, but fundamentally, like every big metropolis, uh, you know, People come here to work, but they leave family uh, someplace else or they have connections other places. So all these people had been using Bikash as a lifeline even before the COVID. But finally, the grand narrative of how the interconnected story of, you know, COVID was such an equalizer, as we all realized. It really was. It really was. Bikash became that storyline of equalizer that rich or poor, urban or rural 
or highly savvy smartphone user or feature phone user, you all can use a simple service such as Bikash to send money home or buy things or just simply even if you want to help someone. If you want to send cash to an area which is really struggling to get food, even just beyond that, Bikash has an organization all along several million, 7.5 or 8 million beneficiaries in Bangladesh got their benefits during the COVID period through Bikash. Bikash, as the, the system had become a lifeline. Two years fast forward, it's amazing to see when I walk, I'm visiting some small town to find that when, when you work for an organization that is a verb, you know you've really made it. The term itself has now become the, uh, because of, uh, of our existence of a decade, they don't say, send me money. People say, Bikash me 100 taka. Uh, like <laughs> so Google, imagine Google this. Yeah, yeah it, thank you. I'm not going to even compare ourselves, but- we'll cut that I mean, out. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 but that's absolutely fine, actually. I mean, it is essentially, you know, Google me, Google this, you know? I mean, I remember once I met a guy who was talking about 5G, talk about being really upfront. He was like, here's my name, Google me. I was thinking, I mean, I was just thinking, wow. And in a similar way, I was thinking, I came back and I, wherever I went, you didn't have to even introduce the company or what it did. You just said, people would say, oh, because yeah, I because all the time. You know, I eat all the time. I, I, I all the time. buy things all the time. I because all the time. I believe fundamentally I, I stuck in journalism and I like to consider myself a storyteller. Someone tells me I'm the chief storyteller of Bikash. I couldn't have a better story or easier story to tell. So yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a wonderful experience in that sense. Mafuz, this has been an inspiring story and very enlightening to I know you've been very generous with your time. Uh, our listeners are going to appreciate this conversation that we've had. Bangladesh has uh, lots of such inspiring stories to tell. I'm glad that Bikash is one of the core element or core factors driving uh, its success. I think the World Economic Forum expects the country to become the 25th largest economy in the world uh, by 2035. And for our listeners, that is exactly where Sweden and Thailand are right now. So that's just set yourself up for um, some fantastic growth opportunities that are going to come out of Bangladesh. Mafuz, thank you so much for speaking to us. This has been fantastic. And I really genuinely hope you would be back for future CSIS uh, opportunities, events. Uh, and if you're in Washington, D.C., we would love to host you at our premises. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Sundar. Have a good day. And uh, it was wonderful to share the story of Bikash with you and your audience. And yes, it would be lovely to meet. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 